Aldazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you use the area code in Baton Rouge, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We just sitting here looking for something to do. <laughs> <laughs> you give us a call. We'll put you right at the top of the list. Get your question answered. Get some information. Whatever you need to know, you that, let us know. That's it. And should you happen to miss your Last opportunity for this year. That's right. This is the last, last, last live show this year. We do have one more show, but it'll be a recorded show. Correct. You can always go to the website, get your questions answered that way. We will still answer questions even while we're on vacation. That's exactly right. I always travel with a laptop, and that's one thing I try to do at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, depending on what my... Where you're at and where what your I schedule am and, is. <laughs> what the missus will let me do. <laughs> if the sun is shining on the beach or... Uh, That's right. <laughs> or if it's raining or whatever, I might ask it a whole bunch of time. You there never you know. Go. <laughs> Get bored and look for something to do. <laughs> I thought, because this is the last show of the year, a live show, I thought we would talk a little bit about something that we get a lot of calls about. Okay. And that is diagnosis of problems. And in particular, logic flaws in diagnosis. Okay. Because... A flaw in logic is one of those things that causes a lot of things to get misdiagnosed. Sure. And diagnosis of automobiles is basically pretty akin to medical diagnosis. In fact, we take a lot of the technology and a lot of the things they do, the philosophy of diagnosis, which is hundreds, if not thousands of years old, as right. opposed to automobiles, which have only been around a couple, you know, hundred, hundred years. years or more. But one of the things that every physician does, well, backing up just a little bit one of the most important things that every physician uh, subscribes to and that is do no harm right there's you do not want to damage anything you do not want to make the problem worse correct and the same exact thing with automobiles so that takes in a lot of things from your technique you don't want to go in and start probing into wires where you're damaging the insulation you're doing harm or where you use a cheap part that is possibly not as good as the part you're taking off so the biggest thing is you want to do no harm mm-hmm. you don't if you can't fix it then at least when you, you won't right you won't damage it any further. you don't want to damage it any further and that's particular for enthusiasts who maybe are not professionals but another big thing that every physician starts with he will look at the family history because that gives him a lot of insight and that's more or less like our pattern failures correct you want to be familiar with this design this design has certain problems well, with a physician, he may say this family has had certain problems. Mm-hmm. In other words, they have a family history of heart disease. Right. Well, then he's going to pay more attention to those sorts of things than he would in a guy who goes in who has never had heart disease in his family. We do the same thing by studying pattern failures. For instance, if a Chevrolet truck comes in you with almost, an EVAP code. You but, almost know what it is. Yeah, I'm going to look at the vent solenoid first off because that is a pattern failure on that vehicle. doesn't mean that's what's wrong with that one can't ever make that mistake and come to that conclusion but that is certainly one of the first things that i'm going to look at sure if it's toyota with an evap code i'm probably going to look at charcoal canister first particularly if it has 150,000 or more miles on it so that family history or pattern failure that is one of the things that gives you a lot of insight into diagnosis let's see we got herb on the line good morning herb good morning yes sir look you told me one time about how the taurus 
paddle shift transmission work, you know, the two torque converters and the mm-hmm. two shafts and all that? Yes, sir. Okay, I've got a 2016 Tundra, and it you can pull it over and back one more notch, and you can bump it up and bump it down. Is that the same basic transmission? No, that's trans- mm-hmm. no, that should be um, electronic control, AC 750E. I think it is, yeah. I believe so. That's a conventional style of transmission. Toyota is one of the, I don't know how to put it into terms, but they test technology quite a bit before they start putting it in their designs for the most part. And because the United States is such a huge market for Toyota, generally when they do have something new come along and they're testing out, they'll introduce it in Europe before they will in the United States. Just because they want to make sure there's no problems with it. Right. By the time it gets here, it's pretty tried and true. Right. They want, I mean, they've got a reputation for quality and they know that's their stock and trade and they want to preserve that. Unlike a lot of other companies that kind of just throw ideas out there and let the general public do their well, testing for them. And Ford is notorious for that. They are. Man, Ford has had so many bum ideas right. in the last <laughs> few, several years. I mean, that I'm just real, real reluctant to even look at their products very much. I mean, you look at the number of bad diesels they've built in a row and i mean just one thing to break off spark plugs yeah the call packs that go bad on every single one i mean they've just had a lot of stuff that a lot of that stuff should have never got out right you know they just kind of rushing stuff into production because they're trying to compete with everybody else and hey look how technologically advanced we are and sometimes it works and sometimes it bites you you know if you never innovate then people start to say well these guys they're not keeping up not keeping up but right there's kind of a fine line you have to walk between being first to market and being the guy with the most problems. You know? I'd, I'd like to see a lot of real-world testing before it gets introduced out. They bring cars out and they say, oh, look at this great design, and it's brand-new car. Yeah. You don't have right. any history on it. Yeah, and what happens is it gets out there, and then thousands of people have trouble with it, and then they drop it a couple of years later, and the people that have it are stuck Everybody who's it. ever had one is pretty yeah. much stuck. Oh, you, you described it one time when you said you went in a Toyota place and had one sitting there on the floor with no body on it, I believe, and you mm-hmm. described yeah. how tough it looked. Yeah, oh, that yeah. Made me, that made me want one, and when the big flood comes, mm-hmm. well, I had an opportunity to get one. So okay. I got one. Well, it's a tough <laughs> nice truck. truck. I mean, the only complaint I normally hear is people buy it not realizing how big of a truck it is, and they're kind of shocked by that. I mean, that thing, I know it's rated at a half ton, but, I mean, it is every bit as tough as a one ton, three-quarter ton to one ton. If you look at the size of the differential gears, the size of the brakes, the size of all the components in it, I mean, that truck is huge. It's got 430 gears in the rear end, mm-hmm. I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're huge, man. That's, that's a and big, it, big truck. And it on a rough blacktop road, you know you ain't sitting in a half ton Ford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but it, uh, it's worth it, though. Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. The yep. people that oh, yeah. have them love them. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. All right, Herb. I have, well, you, I have, you no have a Merry Christmas, man. Yeah, y'all too. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd love to have you. We're talking a little bit about diagnosis today. But, of course, we take a call on any topic you might have. You're Definitely. never limited to what we're discussing at the time. That's right. It's just we have to have something as a general. To, to fill in between the callers. To fill in between the callers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we take a call on any topic you might have. And we're going back to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Yeah, good morning. How are you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Yeah, I noticed that uh, Honda, Nissan, Toyota are putting more of these, I guess they call them CVT. Yeah, the constantly variable transmission. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I just wondered how reliable those is. Oh, I mean, reliability over the long term. Do you have any idea on that? They seem to be holding up okay, David. I mean, I can't say we haven't seen some of them fail. And basically, they're non-rebuildable. When yeah. they do fail, it's pretty much swap-out unit. But those are not new technology. Ford invented that back in the 50s and had nothing but trouble with it 
dropped it. But, again, they didn't have the materials. They didn't have the electronics that they've got today. The technology they have today, they can make them work pretty well. Yeah, they well. seem to make them work pretty well. I mean, they use them in BMWs. They use them in yeah. a lot of cars. I'm just the old fan of I like to feel that shift between gears. You yeah, know, they, I well, they can program a shift in there if you want. I they, don't, they can make it bump. I, I don't <laughs> like that CVT. Yeah, it. what they're really going for with that, David, is an engine can only be optimized for emissions in a very narrow RPM range. For uh-huh. instance, it may only meet EPA standards at 22 to 2300 RPM. With a CVT, they can keep the engine within that range for a much wider miles mm-hmm. per hour because it can constantly keep varying the ratio to keep the engine right in that. The no, same reason they're coming area. out with six-speed and eight-speed transmissions. They're just trying to make it meet the emission standards, and they're doing more road testing, where at one time they used to do all the testing on an engine stand. It didn't really matter that much because you could set it right to prime RPM and you could pass all the tests. Well, now they're doing more real-world testing, and the car has to meet certain emission standards or they'll find the devil out of you. So what they're doing by putting these infinitely variable transmissions, they can keep that engine RPM in a very narrow range to optimize the emissions. Okay, thank you very much. All right, David. Merry Christmas to you, man. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. We're going to go ahead and take our quick little break, but we'll be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was... All right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Adco, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. Adco Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year, and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? 291-6901. And that's what Ray did. Good morning, Ray. Hey, good morning, fellas. Yes, good sir. morning. I uh, appreciate you taking my call. Okay, I've got a 2008 Toyota Tundra, mm-hmm. and I just heard, heard you talking about the Tundras. They are a good truck. This is my first one. I bought it used. Two reasons. It was in my price range, mm-hmm. and it was a one-owner vehicle, 230,000 miles. Still going strong, although I've noticed progressively louder humming noise coming from the rear end. Okay. Well, I had it checked out, and we actually replaced the wheel bearing hub assembly. My mm-hmm. mechanic did. Mm-hmm on that passenger side. Got it all done, and I was happy to get in the truck, and when I went down the road, I heard the same sound. <laughs> now, is it the so, same exact sound, or is it a similar sound that's not as loud? You know, it's hard to say. It's been going on for four or five months, so right. I really know the sound pretty well. I'm going to say it's very close to the same. Maybe at different speeds, it might be a little different. Well, the reason I'm asking, Ray, did y'all change both wheel bearings or just the one? 
I'm going to change the next one next week. Yeah, I was going to say, very often when we see one bad, the other one's not too, too far behind it because generally both of them have been down the same road and both of them have been exposed to the same things. Right. May have gotten some high water, got past the seal, got into the two rear wheel bearings. You change one, and of course you hear the other one. It won't be the exact same sound, but it'll be very, very similar to it. It so, is, and, and yeah, I think we're on the right track there. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do it next week, and my mechanic. Yeah, and that's pretty, a pretty big uh, job to change. Too. Yeah, it is. This first time he's done it, he's he's you know a full fledged mm-hmm. mechanic with a shop and everything. Right. And this first time he's had to tackle it, and he spent a good part of the day on it. And yeah, I felt like I didn't give him enough money. It's so. a pretty good sized job. We've got it, a bunch of special yeah, tools that say. are made by Toyota to do that job. It speeds it, it up a little bit, makes man, it a lot easier, a lot easier, but. It doesn't speed it up a huge amount. It does, I mean, it does make it quicker, but it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Right, and we also found out, well, he had to cut the or torch the retaining. Right, right. Out, but when he ordered the part, he did not get it from the dealer. Mm-hmm. So he was under the assumption that the retainer ring would come from the with the part. Yeah, I don't yeah, think so. They're all but uh, it, it does not. It, mm-hmm. You have to get that part from the dealer. Right. So when we do that job, we get both the retainers, the tone ring, the bearing ring, and there's a couple seals that go in there. Yeah, also. they are. And our O-rings, some seals. Yeah, right, right. We get all that from Toyota. It comes as a really, happy meal. Yeah, Toyota is not very expensive on those parts, if I'm not mistaken. They're probably pretty close to what the aftermarket stuff is. Yeah. Okay, well, if I'll you price it, it both ways, you know, some people don't call Toyota thinking they're going to be a lot higher, but they're pretty reasonable on some right. things. Some things like electronic parts, they're very, very expensive on, but on a lot of things like brake pads and suspension parts and all, even shock absorbers, I find they're right in line with uh, the aftermarket sometimes. It's well worth the call. Yeah, it's well worth it because it's well, much better it part, is. in my opinion. Right. And it, it probably would have stayed in some time because what mm-hmm. he did, he tore it down and had his uh, wheel, wheel bearing hub assembly ready, and then he found out he didn't have the retainer right. ring. Right. So Toyota, and they had to deliver it to him, and that was four or five hours. Right. Wait. Yeah, so especially this got your bay tied up and everything. So. Especially this right. time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Thanks for taking my All call, right. and I'm glad to know that probably the other wheel bearing yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. So. That that's more likely it. And uh, tell him too. Of course, he probably knows this already, but be sure he flushes all that oil out of that rear end real, real good in in the center section. Because when those bearings go bad, sometimes the debris will get into that oil, and if you don't get it all out of there, it can get the others. Two more carrier bearings, two more pinion bearings in the center of the rear end, and you can make those go bad because the, the okay, metal will so get off if, the, if the oil gets past the seal into yeah, that. Yeah, it's a sealed deal, but. I always like to change the oil in the rear end at the same time. Okay, I'm going to let him know that. Then right. we'll, we'll probably do it on this job if he didn't do it. Yeah, uh, he may have. A lot, a lot of times they will. It's, it's a piece of cake to do. So. Yeah, I think it's got a drain on it and a mm-hmm. fill plug. It's, it's pretty easy to take the plug out and, and let it right. dry. Right, well. Like I say, it was in my price range. I am still paying on it, but I was really, I was pretty terrified when I started hearing that blowing <laughs> sound. I'm like, oh no, rear end. Here yeah. we go. You guys have a great day. All right, Merry right. Thank you, man. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we were talking just a little bit about diagnosis and such as that and how it is similar to medical. what a medical doctor does. He's diagnosing patients. We're diagnosing cars. And I guess the one advantage to a patient is that he can tell you more right. or less what is going wrong, whereas you, you a car can ask, can't. You can ask a lot more technical questions and, and things like that with a, with a person right. than you can with an automobile. But the other side of the coin is that because cars are mass-produced, generally you can have more information as far as pattern failures Correct. and things. So you'll kind of know, well, most of these do this. So you kind of know where to start looking. And when you talk about getting complaints, that's 
a big problem, or at least that can be a big, big problem, because people only know what they experience, uh-huh. and sometimes they do not know how to relay that to the shop, and right. that can vastly complicate diagnosis. And in that type of situation, you really take it advantage if you can get the customer to drive with the technician. Right. Show him this is what this I'm, is what I'm looking for. And if that's not possible, what you basically need to relay to the tech is when number does it one. Well, number one, what is it doing now that you don't want it to be doing when you pick up? Or number two, what is it not doing now that you do want it to be doing when you pick up? That's the most important thing. Uh-huh. Don't say, well, it feels like it's not getting gas. Because right. I don't know what in the heck that is. I mean, that may be one thing to you, something else, somebody else. And it really, technically, it doesn't mean anything at all. Mm-hmm. What does it feels like it's not getting gas? Or it just doesn't feel right. I mean, yeah, that's a vague, very vague complaint yeah, you that can't be resolved. Cannot be resolved because you got to remember, you drive this car every single day. You that's know exactly right. how it feels. We drive hundreds of different cars. Every one of them feels a little bit different. Yep. I have no idea how this one felt before. So when you tell me it just doesn't feel right or just doesn't feel the same, I got nowhere to go there. Right. What I need to know is there is a loud tapping noise. It starts at 20 miles an hour. If I turn the wheel one way, it gets better. If I turn it the other way, it gets worse. Worse. If I hit the brakes, it stops. That uh-huh. Now I've got something to go on. Sure. Now I can fix your car, and I can fix it a lot cheaper because the fa- you know, time is money. Sure. And every shop bills for the amount of time they spend. And the faster they can get to the, the complaint. The faster they can get to the problem, the less it's going to cost you, Correct. and the better the results are going to be. So that's why you always want to give as specific information as you can Without giving a lot of superfluous information. Exactly. You know, it really doesn't matter that you're on the way to Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Going to get groceries for your grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. That is irrelevant to the point. Of course, that's tongue-in-cheek. Oh, yeah. Let's go back to lines. We've got Robin on the line. Good morning, Robin. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. I've got this 1993 Cadillac DeVille. It's Mm -hmm. for my 89-year-old mom. Okay. And about a year ago, something started draining the battery. We took it in. And they found something in the door okay. that was not going off. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And it drained the battery. So mm-hmm. I, we thought we had a repair, but now it's doing it again. Mm-hmm. We've towed the car. We've changed the battery. We charged the battery. We cannot keep the car up and running. Runs pretty good. Kind of tough getting parts right now. Yes. But we don't know what's happening again. Did it break again in well, the same place, or is it the other door now? It's possible. It could also be the other door. It could be one of the seat modules. I mean, that car, you got to remember, Robin, that car was loaded with technology, even in 1993. That was the flagship model. It had tons of things in there. Any one of those that stays awake, and those little modules start going bad, and rather than closing down like they're supposed to after so many minutes, they may stay awake. And it's not only the draw of that module, but that module may ping some of the other modules and keep them away. And that's called a parasitic draw because it's like a parasite. It constantly discharges the battery. Now, if your mom is like most people in that age range, they probably don't drive that car a lot. They probably drive it maybe once a week or twice a week. And see, that's also really bad because the car, the battery's sitting there not being used. Something's sapping it down. And then you crank it up, and it probably doesn't drive far enough to really recharge the battery. So it's kind of like the perfect storm of discharge battery problems. Now, the way a shop would go about finding that is they would get the car in. They would connect a milliamp meter between one of the terminals and the battery. 
and it can measure the amount of draw. Now, the problem is you have to let it sit for so many minutes up to an hour for all the stuff to go to sleep before you can start testing. Then you go in and start looking for things. Well, when you find one thing, you try that. Well, now you got to repeat that all over again. Now, where I'm going with that is it can eat up an inordinate amount of time to find something like this. Now, you're not generally charged for all that time because most of the time the car is just sitting there waiting for the modules to go to sleep, but you are charged for time they work on the car. The point is you're probably going to need to bring that to someone and just be prepared to leave it with them maybe for three, four, or five days before they'll be able to find the exact component that's causing the problem. Now, a lot of those components, like you alluded to yourself, they're not available any longer. Just they've gone obsolete. But it may be something that can be disconnected or be disarmed. I know we get a lot of these cars. Some of those seat modules are extremely, I mean, they're obscenely expensive. But what we do instead is we'll move the seat to a position that the owner likes it and just disable it where it doesn't move anymore. Because some of those little modules can be $700 to $1,000. And if if one of those is bad, you know, it's either disable it or, you know, replace it. And more and more and more, you can't even find them used because all those cars are being crushed. They're just so old now that people aren't, uh, there's not that much demand for them. So they're crushing them all. So it can, getting parts can be a real problem, but that's the procedure you're going to need to go through. You have to find somebody who's willing to work with you on it and you got to bring it in and be prepared to leave it with them until they can find the problem. Then once they find the problem, it may be as simple as, replacing a component if it's not real expensive it may be a matter of disabling a component if it is real expensive or not available any longer but that's what she's going to need to do alternatively what you could try is driving the car more often if you could drive the car every day for at least a half an hour it may be that the problem would not manifest it may be the alternator could keep up with it Another possibility, of course, most elderly people aren't going to want to hassle with all this, but you could possibly get a little battery charger and hook to it and charge the battery at, at night so that even though it's having some current drawn out of it, it's being replaced. So there's all sorts of things once you know what the problem is. There's all sorts of things you can do, and that's kind of the procedure you're going to have to follow to get it fixed, I think. Okay. Because we've bounced around different repair shops mm-hmm. doing it and leaving it for you know I mean, almost up to a week. I yeah. need to find that when we get back, back it's square one again. Yeah, and you're probably yeah. best off to stay with one person because he is at least familiar with what he's done before. Because if you take it to one guy and then you take it to another guy, he's got to retest all the same stuff the other guy tested because he doesn't know if he did it right or not. So he's got to go through all the whole thing again. So when you kind of hop around, you're more or less maximizing your cost. If you can find one person that feels like they really want to work with you on it and just he doesn't get it the first time, take it back to him, say, look, I'm still having a problem. I think it would be less expensive to do it that way. That's perfect. All righty. Good news. Thank you. All right, Robin. Merry Christmas, Stephen. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. a bad dream the other night can't be worse than mine i was buried up to my neck in the desert surrounded by an army of prairie dogs and their leader rides up rides yep it's yule brenner and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn so all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece i'll never look at that halloween confectionery the same again 
What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Keep punching with a victory crew when you make and may punch you with that bottle move. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Drills, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have, and we sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Just go ahead and give us a call because we still got a few minutes left to get you yeah. a live personalized answer. There you go. Got plenty, plenty of time. Got all our lines wide open. So we'll get you an answer and personalized and custom tailored for you. There you go. Get <laughs> you going again. There you go. We were talking just a little bit about diagnosis and such as that. And the last caller, Robin, made a good point when she says, well, we went one place. We wasn't, they didn't get it right. So we went somewhere else. Uh-huh. And we've tried two or three places. And I understand that we kind of tend to expect perfection a lot of times when we don't get it sometimes it irritates us but you got to remember especially with an intermittent problem it can be very very difficult to find sure and you're generally going to be better off to stick with the same guy well and the thing about an electronic problem is if it's working at the time that the checking is being done right then it's completing the circuits it's all working right it's not something you're going to be able to just find well you're going to have to wait for it to present itself then you should be able to find it well with all electronics Basically, the only thing a test is going to tell you is zero one. Is the circuit flowing or, or is not. the circuit not flowing? And if it's working, it's going to be a one. If it's not working, it's going to be a zero. And that's all you got. And right. if it's working when you test it, you can continue to test ad nauseum. And you're not ever going to get anywhere because it is working. Right. And it's not like you can, in the old days, take the top off and look inside and see a shiny spot where something's been rubbing and say, oh, yeah, here it is. Mm-hmm. You just can't do that because you'd have to destroy the component to take it apart. And even if you could take it apart, you couldn't see anything inside. There's a bunch of electrons right. flowing through different circuits. And not only is it frustrating for the customer, but it's also frustrating for the tech. Very, very frustrating for the shop. And it can be very expensive for the shop to sit there and have somebody just keep testing, testing, testing and not get any results. Mm-hmm. So it's just a frustration, and it's just the way cars are built. Right. And if you really want to get mad at somebody, get mad at the manufacturers who build <laughs> these cars build it, yeah. that do not have a way to diagnose them because they could do a much, much, much better job of making diagnosis easier. And you got to remember, technically, it's in their best interest to make diagnosis difficult. Sure. Because nothing drives a person to a new car faster than, than a an car old that, car that can't get fixed. That's right. And so their job, covertly, if not outwardly, uh-huh. is to make it as difficult as possible to fix these cars sure. in many cases. They want and you to buy a new car. Yeah, absolutely. That's what they're, the that's, that's, they're new cars every They year. are there. That's what they're there. It's to sell cars. So one good example of that is the diagnostic trouble codes that they give, which are so vague that they're yeah. almost useless. And worse, if you're not very experienced at what you're doing, they will take you off on a tangent of spending money and frustration and creating other problems. An example of that could be where it comes on and it says the gas cap is leaking. Well, it has no idea what's wrong with the car. It just knows there's a gross evap leak. And when it has this type of leak, the software is written to turn this light on. That's right. Replace gas cap. Right. And 
what would be far, far more helpful is if it was to say what I wanted was two inches of vacuum on this sensor and what I'm reading is zero inches of vacuum. If it told you that, then you kind of know where to start sure. looking a whole lot better than replace gas cap or whatever. Because to set an EVAP code like that, what it means is that the computer commanded a vacuum on the tank, did not see a vacuum on the tank, so it, so it assumes the gas cap is off. Now, right. in reality, it could be the port is plugged up with carbon where the purge valve is, and so it can't it generate a vacuum. It. it could be the purge valve is bad. It could be a rodent has chewed wire off of the purge valve. It could be the vent valve is stuck wide open, so it can't draw a vacuum on a tank. It could be one of the vacuum lines is off. It could be someone replaced the fuel pump didn't put the O-ring back in properly. could be the gas neck is cracked. It could be the neck is cracked. We've it could be the tank is cracked. It could also be the pressure sensor in the tank is bad, known. and it is working perfectly normal, but it doesn't see Yikes. a vacuum because the sensor doesn't report that. And I could probably name about 100 other things <laughs> yeah. that it could be, all from one code. So what a code means is that something is wrong. It Basically, that's see, all it really... It doesn't see the results it's expecting, so it turns the light on. Right. And so you have got to go in and start testing individual components. Now, based on experience, an experienced tech knows what components fail on what vehicle, so he knows where to start testing. Right. Doesn't mean he's going to hit it first off because this could be an odd case where it's something totally different. But his odds are going to be way better at getting to it faster. Another thing is he understands the way the system works. Uh-huh. So he kind of knows what this computer what is looking trying for. to look for. So it just makes it much, much more likely that a trained person is going to be able to find this problem as opposed to someone going in just throwing parts at it right. hoping to, to fit the problem. I remember we had a GM truck come in one time with an EVAP code, which is extremely common. Mm-hmm. Generally, the vent solenoids plugged up, but this one had had two vent solenoids put on it by the owner right and neither one fixed the problem and the code was vent solenoid stuck open well we went in start doing some testing and the first thing that we did is we checked for a signal to the solenoid no signal had ground but no signal Uh so next thing we did is went to the pcm check for continuity on the line going to the sensor right we've got continuity online so we know the wire is good the next thing we do we go in and command vent and I got no signal coming out of the PCM. So next thing, we go in, test all the inputs to the PCM. They're all there. We got no output. We got a bad PCM. And what had happened in this particular case, either when the first solenoid went out, it shorted and burned up the PCM, right. or possibly when he changed the PCM, he shorted the wires. We don't know that because we got it after the fact. Somebody had been working on it. He could have plugged wires in backwards. He could have grounded the power line. He could, any number of Anything things might have happened. The point is the PCM was bad. The driver in the PCM was burned out, yep. so it couldn't command the vent valve to open, so it's going to set a vent valve code. Because it didn't see the return back on the line. All it knows is that it's commanding vent, and it's, and not seeing it's the holding a purge. It's got vacuum on the tank, and it can't drop the vacuum when it tells it to, so it's going to set a vent valve code. Yep. So that's kind of sort of the logic that they use with that thing, and that's why it makes it so, so difficult to find these things many, many times. And that may be on one particular vehicle, one particular manufacturer. Another one Another may one be may... totally, totally different. For instance, Honda's had a problem with that vent solenoid. If the vent solenoid went out, and this was back, I guess, maybe 10 years ago, when the vent solenoid went out, 
it would short and it would knock the computer out. Right. Very, very common very to see common. a bad PCM on that particular car with that particular driver burned down on it. Yep. And, of course, people would go in, they'd start changing this, changing that, changing the other, and they would never get to the problem. They'd probably bring it in, and you'd find the PCM driver was burned out. Well, and that kind of testing is, is kind of above the do-it-yourselfers realm of diagnosis. For, for the most part, it is because to test a PCM, there is no direct test. That's no. the brain. That does the testing. So you can't test something that's doing the testing. Right. Instead, you have to verify all the inputs are there, all the powers and all the grounds are there, and, and if the output is not there, then by default we know the PCM right. is the problem. And right. the same thing with a BCM or TCM or any type, any type of, of module. electronic module. Now, again, going back to what we were saying earlier, they could make this a whole lot easier. Sure. It would be pretty simple for them to write into the software a little self-test. It would go in, verify all the drivers, and if one isn't good, it could flash a little red LED. So now you just raise the hood, you see a little red LED flashing, you replace that module, and... It's done. This is done in about five minutes as opposed to about three hours <laughs> of work it takes to do it now. And right. you'll see that a lot on some of your military applications. For instance, if you raise the cowling on an F-16 or F-22, all those modules have self-tests. Uh -huh. Green, red, light, maybe a yellow light for a compromise. And the tech raises the cowling. He sees that. Whoop, module swapped out. Whoop, problem fixed. Because if you've got an Abrams tank, that breaks down and two guys can't fix it with a hatchet and a pair of pliers <laughs> you can start having fatalities right. pretty quickly so the military is one of those people who can afford to have serviceability built into their vehicles right. and, and equipment whereas the general public doesn't have that luxury and of course the manufacturers say well it would be too, be too expensive much, yeah. and Cost maybe it would much. but it may also hurt sales quite a bit yeah. people keep cars a lot longer so it's sort of a shame, but it's just the way that it is. Well, and you, you know, you were talking about those modules being able to be replaced. Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff has to be reprogrammed That's when right. it's replaced. Mm -hmm. Or it, like on the dash modules in the Chevy pickups, mm -hmm. when you replace a dash module, you have 20 miles, I believe, right. to get it to someone who can program it. program it so it works with the vehicle. If you wait past that 20 miles, it'll lock out. It, when it locks out, it's done. It's yeah. paperweight then. It cannot be reprogrammed because it closes the loop that allows you to go in. And, of course, the way the manufacturers explain this, well, we don't want somebody to put it in, not program it, run up a bunch of miles, and, and then program it. it and change the mileage. Right. So to protect the integrity of the mileage, we only, we'll give you 20 miles to get it somewhere, but beyond that, it's locked out and you can't get back in. Uh -huh. And maybe that's... The, I, can, I can see the point, but, yeah. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that could be written into the PCM itself. Right. And more and more and more what's happening is that modules cannot be reprogrammed once they're programmed. Right. Which takes the used market completely sure. out. For sure. instance, if you got any of the more modern cars, say you've got a 12-model whatever. whatever, Chevy Impala, and the PCM or the BCM goes out, you cannot go to a junkyard and buy one because when you install it, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to key in the VIN number, and when it comes up, it's going to go out, it's going to see these other modules, and it's going to marry to them. They're going to exchange data, and they got all married to each other. Uh -huh. If you take that module out put another car, it will not work. Right. And if you get a used one and put in, it will not work. Now, even more insidious than that, I know a lot of the GM modules, you could take, let's say, a PCM that is working perfectly, take it out of one vehicle, put it into another vehicle, it will not run. But when you put it back in the original vehicle, it still won't run. It won't run because right. it it's solved the 
the different VIN number from different the other VIN, modules. a different configuration, and it locked that PCM out. Yep. And again, the explanation from the manufacturer, we're trying to prevent stealing parts. You know, we don't want somebody stealing a part and putting another car. In fact, some radios are that way. Yeah, most if you take it out, put in a different car, it's not going to work. It's not ever going to work again. <laughs> right, right. It, it's done. Then. It's locked out. So it does effectively keep people from stealing radios, but it also I mean to what expense? Yeah, it also locks the door on using used components. I think that's the biggest part. Yeah, more and more and more. Now, what they're doing with the electronics that they're able to put into cars. And I haven't seen this as much on the domestic cars or the Japanese cars. Like some of your European cars, they've even got like the shock absorbers and everything else tied into right. the system. Where if you got a Volvo and a strut goes bad, you can't put an aftermarket strut on because it's not going to be able to be programmed. Right. You're going to have to go back, You're gonna have to go back to Volvo and buy that strut. And have it programmed, programmed to put back on that to vehicle. The car. That's right. No used ones, no anything else. It's just it's married to that car. They all have an IP address. Once they lock into that network, that's it. That's it. And it's a one-shot deal. So, Well, not only does it take your used market out, but it takes a lot of your aftermarket out. It does. It does because now you can't tool up to do this sort of stuff in a cost-effective way. Right. So the manufacturer is the only one who can really afford to produce the parts. We see that on engine mounts now. Some of the engine mounts have a program to them. Uh-huh. And you will see a motor mount now, believe it or not, a motor mount that may cost $600. Right. One mount. And there may be four of them on the car. Yeah. And they go bad a lot. They do. <laughs> so, you know, you figure four mounts at 600 bucks a crack, plus six hours labor to change them and two hours to reprogram it. Yeah. You're talking about a non-significant amount of money there. Well, and the thing about it, if you don't do it that way, mm-hmm. if you opt to put the aftermarket part on it turns the check engine light on mm-hmm. you can't get a state inspection with the check engine light well on. that's right and some of them i've seen some aftermarket mounts that don't even have the componentry in them it's got a little deal there that might even fool the computer into thinking it's working yeah but they're not even operating not even doing what they were designed to do so you got to watch all these kinds of things yeah yeah it, it's getting a lot more technical than it ever used to be oh absolutely now you're know, going back to the diagnosis and then going wrong and logic errors and stuff another real common thing that we see is where people will get a code and it says oxygen sensor out of range Uh and the first thing they do is they go down they buy an oxygen sensor sometimes in a parts store rather than the original and you got to watch is that even though they may be some people refer to it as an oxygen sensor most modern cars do not use upstream oxygen sensors any longer they use air fuel sensors right they look the same they look the same they will screw back in the same hole but they operate completely different right and so if you hook that into there you may have to cut the wires off it may not come with wires it may just come with wires you solder to your little pigtail when you turn the key on you may take your computer out sure and the oxygen sensor was never the problem in the first place. Because what it's saying is not the oxygen sensor is bad. It's nope. saying it's out of range. Right. Which, could, which it could be a vacuum leak. Could be a vacuum leak. Could be a fuel leak. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen throttle bodies and, and all that. The regulators go bad and it leaked fuel. Right. So you'd have a rich condition. Right. Well, what it was reading was oxygen sensor out of range. Correct. Not oxygen sensor bad. It could bad. be an, an exhaust leak. An exhaust leak can ingest more oxygen into the exhaust, which makes the oxygen sensor read out, out of range. range. Right. Like you said, an injector stuck, a spark plug bad, a spark plug wire bad. Even a fuel pump that's going out can lean the engine out because it doesn't have enough fuel pressure. It's still got fuel pressure. It's got enough to run, run. but it's leaned out too much. 
So the oxygen system is going to say, hey, we're too lean. Right. We do not have enough oxygen remaining in we're, this exhaust. We're out of the range that we're, operate, we're supposed to operate in, so right. it's going to turn the light on. Right. It's not going to set a fuel pump going out code no. <laughs> because there is no such thing. Right. It's going to set an oxygen sensor code or maybe a mass airflow meter code because it knows that the fuel-air mixture is not correct, and, and it, it just looks at the part that's reporting to it, and that's what it's going to flag. It's right. the part that reported the problem, not the part that caused the problem. Apparently. It's the way the logic is written in the software as to what it, what item it, what light it turns on. That's exactly right. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. Ronnie, good morning, Ronnie. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Great. I got an 06 Sienna, another Toyota question for you. Mm-hmm. And my wife, I have not driven the vehicle. My wife has been telling me for two days, but I'm a UPS driver. I get home at 11 o'clock at night. I understand. And I'm working today. And she says when she gets up to about 35 miles an hour, it starts vibrating. The steering wheel starts, the front end starts vibrating. Then once she gets about 40 to 45, it stops. Mm-hmm. She had the tires balanced last week, but it's still doing it. Yeah. I would think that's not going to be balanced, Ronnie, because balance is generally going to be at a higher speed than that. I would say more likely you've either got a bent wheel or a bad tire. Or a tire that's not round. Tire that's not round. What I would try first is rotate the tires front to rear and see if the vibration changes. Now, it's not Not, going to go away. It's it's still on the car. But you may start feeling it in the seat and the body and not in the steering wheel. Yes, sir. But now, so if we do that and it solves that, I mean, wouldn't the people that that would rotate the tires, would they be able to tell the well, they tire? could if that's what they were checking for. Right. But, again, if they just pulled it off, stuck it on a balancer, and, you know, again, if she went and said, hey, balance my tires, yeah. they balanced tires, gave it back yes, to her. You know, she diagnosed the problem herself and by it with- wrong, they did what she told her. Right. But if you no go doubt. to a diagnosis-type center and say, hey, I've got a vibration at 30 miles an hour, it goes away at 45, he's going to do more testing, see? Okay, great. All right. wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, Ronnie. We'll take care of next week. Merry Christmas, Have a good man. day. Bye-bye. Bye, Thank you. All right, we've got to take one last quick little break, but we will be right back with a whole lot more. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call at 291-6901. And we've got Val online. Good morning, Val. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Yes, I have a question. On the 7.3 diesels, mm-hmm. what is the average life of a fuel pump? you talking about the tank pump? The rail, on the pump on the rail? 7.3, the ejectors themselves are the pump. Well, mm-hmm. mine has a fuel pump under the seat on the rail. It's a oh, on the frame rail, yeah. Oh. Not, yes. I was talking about fuel rail. No, that's what they call the lift pump. Generally, they last pretty well. I mean, 
We don't do diesel work, so I couldn't tell you exactly, but I haven't seen a lot of them go out. I mean, I can't say I've never seen one go, but we really don't see a lot of them. Okay. I'm just, just curious. Yeah, the 7.3, the high-pressure pump is the injector itself. And there's what uh-huh. it does, that low-pressure pump pushes fuel to the injector, and an injector compresses. It's got a, a little pump inside the injector. It compresses it up to about 20,000 PSI that fires it. That's why it's got the 110-volt system under the intake to you know, fire those injectors. But you have one that just keeps eating those pumps up? No, I got it's got over 200,000. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if it's getting ready to go out. No, I what? mean, Val, if you're using a good grade of diesel fuel, I mean, I've seen them last the life of the truck. I have seen some of them fail. But yeah. a lot of times if you get a poor grade of diesel, it'll take them out. Or if your tank has rust in it or something like that, it'll take them out. But, I mean, as long as you've always used a good grade of diesel, I mean, it may last from now on. Okay. All right. Well, I, I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. you got a couple of minutes if you want to try to sneak a quick little call in there. For the end of the year? There you go. We were talking about diagnosis and stuff like that. And I right. guess the point is that a check engine light on a car is similar to a fire alarm in, in a, a multi-story building. Right. When that alarm goes off, it means there's a problem. But it doesn't say there's a problem what's burning. Or right. Yeah, it doesn't say what's burning, and it doesn't say what it's going to take to put it out. Exactly. It just says there's a there's problem, problem here or a potential problem here. And it's very much the same way with a check engine light. It says there's a problem or a potential problem, or at least I think there is a potential problem here. Something needs to be looked at. Mm-hmm. So from there, the technician has to go in. He has to start testing things. Now, the testing, sometimes it's as simple as putting a voltmeter on it and checking right. for voltage. Sometimes it's as simple as checking continuity on a wire and such as that. But many, many times today, it's not a 12-volt system. It's a pulse-modulated system. So it's going to take a digital lab scope to test this. Right. And that is going to be technology that most shops have. Right. Way above the head of most do it sellers Hey, you want to tell about how much appreciate I'm listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour? I thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite rebroadcast service, whether whatever it may be. And fill out the written review for us. There you go. Give us a written review. That'll move us up in the rankings, and we'll be able to keep on doing the show. Pre-seating was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.